0: If you have your Bibles, open them up or ready for uh, Judges chapter fourteen. So last week we, I think we started chapter fourteen, and then we got to talking about being unequally yoked, and that kind of finished the the rest of last Wednesday on that topic of um, being unequally yoked. Here in the first part of fourteen, and I don't think we got much further than that. Um, so today, let's just kind of pick it up in 14 and um, we'll catch it in context there's one thing that that i want to highlight and i think we did this maybe last week too but i want you to turn with me if you will to Zechariah 4 6 before we start and Zechariah is right towards the end of the um the old testament it's a second to last book if you get to that blank page or matthew you've gone too far so back up just a little bit any of you guys have highlighters yellow highlighters Pencils, pens, what do you guys mark in your Bibles with? Well, here's a scripture that I would like for you to have highlighted, underlined, know well. Um, I would kind of say it's a Calvary scripture, but I don't know if that gives it justice. I don't know that Calvary doesn't own any scripture, but definitely growing up in Calvary, it's something that's been a Calvary uh, uh, distinctive for, for all the years that I've been a part of Calvary chapels. And and this kind of is the the sum of Samson's life. We're going to see tonight that that Samson is going to finally be defeated and lose the source of his strength when he gets a haircut, as you guys know in the story. But, you know, we're, we're definitely missing the point of the life of Samson if if we think for a minute that it, his strength was in his hair, that his strength was in the Lord and in God's blessing upon his life. And if you think and if I think for a minute that our strength in life and ministry is from anything else other than Zechariah 4:6, we're in trouble, okay? So I want you to know it, have it highlighted, underlined. And in Zechariah 4:6 it says, "Not by might, nor by power, but by my what? Spirit. Spirit says the Lord. And so that again, it's a key to our church. It's the key to your life, not by your might, or, your, or in other words, not by your efforts, not by your power, not by your abilities, not by your skills, not by your set. Not by, by your giftedness, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'll never, I'll never forget, and I'm glad I heard this early in ministry, because I think I'd probably be the guy that would get this wrong. But an old pastor was watching, and a young pastor was, his church was growing, and things were going well. And he was being interviewed, and the interviewer said to the young pastor, as the old pastor looked on, he said, can you tell us what is the key to the success of your ministry? And the old pastor sitting there, he said, like, first of all, he was broken for this kid because it was a setup. And he's like, because he said, if he says anything besides the grace of God, he's done. If he gives it credit to anything other than simply by the grace of God, then, then the ministry's over. Like it's it's going to crumble because it it is only by the grace of God. And you know, so now in any kind of success or anything God does, you know, it's it's by the grace of God. It's because of the grace of God. It's because not by might, not by power, but but. But by my spirit, says the Lord. Hey, Ali just reminded me of something that I wanted to tell you guys in announcements. Um, hey, each Wednesday night when we do, we have some leftover food. So if, if you guys would uh, use or enjoy or your family, please, because there's, lo- there's lots left over. Okay, and they're divided up. So, so if you before you leave tonight, please um, grab a, a thing of sandwiches and take them for your lunches tomorrow. Take them for work tomorrow or whatever. Bring them home, and uh, ends up being sometimes just the same few of us that, that take them home. If I forget to announce that, so um, I want everybody to grab one, especially if you've never taken food home on a Wednesday night. Your first tonight, all right? So, all right. I wanted to announce that. So, not by power, nor by power, not by power, not by might, nor by power, but by my what? Spirit, says the Lord. All right, turn back with me, if you would, to Judges chapter 14. I want you to look at chapter 13 in verse number 25. And it says, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. And I want you to look at chapter 14 in verse number 6. And it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then I'd like to draw your attention to chapter 14, verse number 19. And it says, and then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And then if I could draw your attention to chapter 15 in verse number 14, second half, and it says, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him. So we see this repeated one, two, three, four, five times here um, in these uh, two, three chapters in the life of Samson. And this idea, this phrase, that the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily was the key to his great strength. And so um, God's spirit was upon him. In chapter 14, it says, Now Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up to his father and his mother, saying, I have seen a filly in Timnah, and the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. I want her. Then his father and his mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And we spent a lot of time there last year. I think that's kind of where we bogged down, ended up ending last Wednesday night. Um, and so and it says, um, and Samson said to his father, I can hear a whiny voice here. Get her for me, for she pleases me well. And so Samson didn't want to answer the question as far as, you know, is there not a woman among the, among the Israelites that you can take as a bride? You know, and he didn't want to have this discussion with his father that she was a pagan woman. He just wanted to double down and insist that that his father go and get her for him. So he did, you know, and Samson had good parents. He had godly parents, and they, they seem to have a good testimony here in chapter 13 and 14 of Uh, the life of Samson as you see his parents it seems that they're they're in a good light and um, that they they for the most part were were good parents and became godly parents and and were chosen of the Lord no doubt and so Samson in verse 5 went down to Timnah with his father and mother and he came to the vineyards uh oh, of Timnah why is that an uh uh-oh in verse 5 because he is a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite from his mother's womb, and there was three things that a Nazarite was forbidden to do. Number one was to drink wine, or have anything to do with um, vineyards. With They weren't even to eat raisins because they came from the the vineyard. They were to have nothing to do with wine because it speaks of the joy of life. And again, the idea of a Nazarite is somebody who was separated unto God. And we, we kind of unpacked the idea of the Nazarite last week. And so we won't necessarily need to do it again. But um, we see it throughout the Bible. But we we, we, we rarely see, only in two occasions, with, with Samson and with John. John the Baptist, where somebody was a Nazarite from birth, and so John uh, the Baptist was called from from his mother's womb, and so was Samson. So he was not to drink wine. He was not to touch a dead carcass and he was not to cut his hair. And so um, it's actually a shame culturally in Israel to have long hair for the men to have long hair. But it was, again, something that spoke of separation unto God, that he was called out and separated unto God. So he, you know, he really has no business in his vineyard. He really doesn't. He's it's, it's breaking his Nazarite vow. And so he's there in the vineyard of Timna. And now to his surprise, a young woman, came, uh, excuse me, a young lion, a woman, you know, I, I said woman instead of lion because I'm talking to Samson. And it's usually his problems are a woman because he was a he man with a, you guys remember, a she problem. One more time. He was a he man with a what? With a she problem. And every every one of, no, I guess not everyone. Well, this is not going to be much of a problem. But most of Samson's problems are about a woman. And his weakness was with the women in, in his life and, and constantly, um You'll see in these stories that, that the problem becomes with the women in his life. So he, he comes, and, and, and his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord did what? Came mightily upon him. And that, again, that's, that's the key to Samson's life, is that, that God's Holy Spirit comes upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. And though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And so with his bare hands, he fought a lion and with no trouble, he just ripped the lion apart as you would rip up a young goat in the Bible. It says that David also defeated a lion in his, in his journeys and in his fighting in the wilderness. And I don't imagine for King David, the battle was as simple as it was here for, um, For Samson, who the Holy Spirit came over him and he just ripped this lion to shreds. You know, the lion came at him with his mouth open and Samson grabbed one end and the other. And that was it for this young lion. And it says, then he went down and talked with the women and she pleased Samson well. And after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of a lion. Uh oh, trouble number two for Samson. What is another part of his Nazarite vow that he's not supposed to do? He's touched dead dead carcasses. He's not to to touch dead carcasses. And now here he is in a vineyard with the honey in the in the mouth of the dead carcass, and he's reaching in. He's touching the dead carcass to get the honey out. Um, so this you know evidently this lion that he killed and he leaves the, the 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 lion carcass and he goes and he and he messes with this filly and on his way back he finds the that uh the bees had built a hive inside of the carcass of this lion and there was honey in the in the In the carcass of the lion. And he went in and got it. And he took some in verse 9. Of it in his hands. And he went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother. He gave some to them. And they also ate. But of course not. He did not tell them. That he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Why would he not tell him he took it out of the carcass of the lion? Pretty simple right? Because. He wasn't supposed to be touching carcasses. And, you know, he knew that that they would frown upon that and they would not be happy with him. And so he left that detail out. And it says, so his father went down to the women, to the woman, and Samson gave a feast. There, for young men used to do so. Basically, the bachelor party, you know, the same thing they would do back then. Men would get together before the wedding and they would have a bachelor party. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So he was down in the Philistine country. He didn't have any of his own friends. He didn't have any of his own groomsmen. So the Philistines in this village tribe area he was in, they provided 30 of their own Philistine men um, to to stand in as Samson's groomsmen and you know hang out with him for his bachelor party or do whatever they did and so these thirty men were there to be to stand in, and Samson said to the thirty men. Let me pose a riddle to you, and if you can correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. And so... um, you know, First John tells us, right, that, that the sins that so easily beset us and, you know, one of the things that we know, you know, when we talk about as far as Satan's um, plans go is that Satan has three plays. Satan is not real crafty, but he doesn't have to be. It's not like things aren't working, and so he's got to come up with new ways. And definitely Satan, as we talked about, he has a specific plan of temptation and attack that's different for each one of us. Some things will work in your life that won't work in my life and vice versa. And so without a doubt, he's very crafty. But again, we we want to be careful, and we're definitely not a church or a people. And because of our our understanding of the word that we want to give Satan more credit than's due. You know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, Satan made me do it, you know, and... um, did I tell you about the pastor who, um, sent his wife to the store with his credit card? And he was so scared that his, that the pastor's wife was going to spend all his money. And he, he, he was kind of a tightwad and he kept telling his wife, listen, if you get in the store and, and, and Satan is tempting you, you just say, get behind me, Satan, get behind me Satan! And don't spend my money. So his wife comes home from the mall and she's got this really fancy expensive dress and, um, the pastor says to what, us, what happened? Didn't you tell Satan to get behind you? And she said, I, I did, honey. She's like, he was tempting me. And I said, get behind me, Satan. And Satan said, it looks good from back here, too. <laughs> so I had to buy it. <laughs> The Bible says that, that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And so, you know, I, again, be careful, you know, like, i talked to you guys before about, you know, and my personal experience in, in, in small doses, like I said, I've been mostly Calvary, but I've had some times where I've experienced other churches and other kind of things. And I remember being in a church and in this particular church, there was a demon of everything. And it was, you know, it was Constantly casting demons out of people. It was a church where you came and every Sunday you came forward to ask Jesus in your heart to get saved. And and that's just bad theology. It's bad doctrine, you know. Because if you're saved, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. And lest you fall away, Chuck used to say. But you don't need to come forward to get saved. You repent once unto salvation, and 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 your entire life unto sanctification. The process by which we we go from the flesh to to becoming more like Jesus. So we're constantly we're going to be being sanctified our whole life in that process of growing and becoming more like God. But we only need to be saved once. But also in this church, not only would you get saved. Every Every week. But if you had a struggle in your life. Like if you came in and you know you told the pastor. I just you know I, I've been trying to quit eating Twinkies. And I just can't. I just I just the devil just tempted me. And I got to eat these Twinkies. Well then you had the the demon of Twinkies. And they would cast the demon of Twinkies out of you. And if you know if you were trying to quit smoking. Then you had the demon of nicotine. And um, you know and and really terrible theology. First of all because if if you're a Christian. You cannot be demon-possessed. Okay, that's very clear, very easy, um, very, very dogmatic about that. It, it's very simple. If you're a, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, it's impossible for you to be possessed by a demon. Why? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you ask Jesus in your heart? Jesus comes into your life. God fills you with his Holy Spirit. And I can promise you, God's not going to share a temple with a demon. And, 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 but you can be, as a Christian, what we call what? You can't be possessed, but you can be oppressed. Okay, and that comes from the outside. And we will face that, right? Ephesians chapter 5. You wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so we, we're going to face uh, attacks from the outside. But again, the Bible says he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. There's a scripture kind of obscure, I guess. And it it basically says that when we finally get to see Satan, we're going to be like, that's the guy that gave us all that trouble. That little weasel. Like we're not going to be that impressed with what he looks like when we finally see him. And and yet again, not not to take anything away from the power of temptation or from the ability for for Satan to destroy lives. But but again, the power that Satan has in each one of our lives is the power that we give him. It's, you know, you have all the power in Jesus and victory in Jesus to overcome sin in your life. And Jesus said that there's not a temptation that you'll face that he's not first giving you a way, a way, of, a way of escape and a way out. And so um, that applied to what we were talking about here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so in 1 John... Um, Again, it says for all that is in the world. So, all that is in the world. First John chapter one, verse uh, sorry, chapter two, verse sixteen. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life, and so we see those three things that John highlights for us in First John as the three tactics of Satan. So we see the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We see that present in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm sorry, the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three. We see those same same things present um, when Satan is tempting. This in Matthew chapter four. And we see that same thing throughout all the Bible and history where what John identifies as those three plays of Satan as the, the basic. And again, not to say there's not anything else, the category or area where we might fall or struggle. But basically, you could fit all of them into those three areas of life. The pride of life. I'm sorry, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And so here we have. Um. Samson, who, who's kind of falling into those same temptations. And we, we see him very prideful here with this riddle and, um, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. He's struggling with those things when he sees women and this honey and this is And now the pride in this riddle as he challenges these guys to try to go ahead and solve his riddle. And verse 14, it says, um, so, so he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. And out of the strong came something sweet. So obviously his riddle is that there was a dead lion and the bee made a hive and and made honey inside the carcass of the lion. And it says for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire have you invited us in order to take what is ours? That is that not so? So you invited us here to be a part of your wedding and, and bridesgrooms. Did you do that just to curse us and take what was ours? If you don't tell us, look what he says. Remember this right here in verse 15. They, they threaten that we're going to burn you and your father's house if you don't tell. So she's going to tell and eventually her house is going to get burned anyways. Basically, is what's going to happen. So she should have shut up. And then Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. All these women. Oh, my gosh. You only hate me. You don't love me. (laughs) You guys, yeah, you guys think this is new stuff, these tricks you got. Listen, these these are thousands of years old, this stuff, you know, turning on the tears and the waterworks and no doubt she's crying on his shoulder. You don't love me. If you love me, Um, you have posed a riddle to the sons of my people and you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. So why should I explain it to you? And now she had, oh, here she goes with the water work. She wept on him seven days while they're, dude, this this would do any man in. Now, we want to give Samson a hard time because he did have such a weakness for women. And some of the decisions that he makes in these next chapters regarding women, you're like shaking your head trying to figure out what in the world was he thinking. But seriously, seven days of her crying, I think... You know, the Bible says that it's it's better for a man to dwell on a rooftop than in a house with a contentious woman. The Bible says that a contentious woman, this is the Bible, so don't hate me, all right? You got a problem? Take it up with God. I don't write the news, I just report it. The, the Bible says in Proverbs that a contentious woman is like a dripping faucet. Do you know the Chinese use dripping faucets to torture people? <laughs> drip, 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 drip. Drip, So no doubt that little drip on his forehead for a week straight. And he didn't care what he told her at this point, but he was ready to tell her. Now she had wept on him seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he finally told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? so they solved the riddle and um and so he said if you had not plowed with my heifer you would have not solved my riddle so solomon was romantic like take some notes here you guys the last one was his filly this one is his heifer you know what a heifer is right <laughs> it's a cow it's a baby cow but it's a cow and um Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's probably not a good idea, man. Calling your wife a heifer, Um, especially if you're you're newly married and, you know, you've been married 20 years and you took your wife to Hawaii. You might get away with it, but um, probably not. Yeah. But don't 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 try that. So um, um, Solomon, who's not much of a romantic, you know, this this is really most of the most of the women that he was he was engaged with in in his life were, were harlots. This particular one was not, but I guess there's not much romanticism that's necessary when she's a harlot. But um, and it says in verse 19, our phrase right for the life of Samson, not by not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord, verse 19, came upon him mightily and he went down to Ashkelon, one of the five major cities of the Philistines, and he killed 30 of their men, took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. Um, you, you know, one of the things, again, I, I just have a, a little note here about Samson, but there's a couple things to note about the life of Samson. Um, we highlighted a couple last week, but I want to remind you now, number one, We don't. We have maybe two, I think, but both are really lame. Neither one are... Samson really, um, we don't see any devotion in the life of Samson. One of the things that we see in the life of Joshua, one of the things that we see in the life of David, one of the things that we see in the life of Joseph, um, the life of Daniel, as we study these old Testament characters is it's, it's commonly recorded for us that they prayed, they sought the Lord. They, um, they heard from the Lord and, and nowhere recorded and not necessarily nowhere. There's a couple of Small that I'll highlight when we get to him, but you don't see um, Samson having devotion with God. You don't see Samson seeking the Lord. You don't see him inquiring of the Lord. No, never is that um, um, recorded for us that he has any kind of personal devotion. Um, between him and the Lord. And then a lot of what the judges did um, throughout the history of the judges of Israel is they, they would get the people together and they would oftentimes gather armies or they would gather um, some kind of following. But Samson never did that. He acted alone through his entire year as um, in his ministry as a judge to Israel. And he's always alone. Every time you see him, he's acting alone. And so here again, he acts alone. He, he has no accountability. He's nobody to you know check him and, and make sure what he's doing to keep him accountable. And it's never good for us to not have accountability and to act alone. And it was just kind of his character too, and his personality. So he goes down to Ashkelod and and he kills 30 Philistines and strips their clothes. Now, what I'm curious to know is, did he strip their clothes first and then kill them? Or did he strip their clothes and then take their bloody clothes off of them and throw the bloody clothes at the feet of the You know, the 30 guys, the 30 groomsmen that he owed these 30 garments to. But nonetheless, Samson went down to Ashkelon and he killed 30 men, took all their clothes off, and that's how he paid his debt. And so his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Yikes. So he didn't even get the girl. He never consummated the marriage. Um, no, no marriage in the, in the ceremony, you know, he, at the end of the ceremony the seven days when it's about to come to that point of consummation and finishing and ending Samson gets upset. The spirit of the Lord comes on him. He heads up to Ashkelon to go get these 30 garments to pay his debt. He gets him and he comes back. And by the time he comes back, his, what would have been his future father-in-law gives his bride to the best man in the wedding, um, And we'll hear why. Hey, there's one thing in verse four in chapter 14 that that I pass that I just want to kind of just talk about. because I think it's important in our understanding of the life of Samson Um, in verse four. It says, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And so I I, I don't know. I think I have my personal opinion on how I would understand verse 4. And I don't necessarily want to give you my opinion or or put mine on you. You can kind of come up with your own. But, But basically, you know, when we talk about the will of God, because some of these things for Samson were sin. So you know basically what i 'm saying is that that these things that Samson were doing, verse four says that his parents didn 't understand that it was because the Lord had a plan to to get back at the Philistines and kill the philistines but i don 't think that our theology can say that that, that God uses our sin to um, to bring about his his purposes or his plans. You know I think through our sin or in spite of our sin, God will still use. Um, us and people and things um, to get his will done and that God doesn't use us because we're perfect and God doesn't use us only when we're perfect and God doesn't use me only when you know my my life outside of this pulpit has been lived to perfection because God couldn't use anybody in that case certainly not me so even in weakness and even in struggle and even in sin you know It's not a prerequisite for God using people, but at the same time, it gets a little muddled, a little gray, right? If if the action of the sin that God said beforehand not to do and then they did it and then God used it anyways, that that somehow God used, you follow me, that God allowed or God um, um, was okay with that sin because of his purposes. So in verse four, when it says, you know, Samson was supposed to go down to this, get this. this pagan woman and his dad warned him and said, can't you find an Israelite bride? And it's, it's basically wrong for you to go down and take this Philistine woman. And then Samson said, I'm going to do it anyway. And then verse four says, but God, um, you know, but he didn't understand that God was, was going to use it. How's it worded here that, um, did not know that he was seeking occasion, that it was of the Lord because he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. So like another example of this would be Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, right? You remember that story? Joseph, finally, Joseph's father dies. His brothers come back. They've already, you know, the whole story is over with Joseph and his brothers. And um, they come back after Jacob dies because they think now that our father is dead, now Jacob is going to, Joseph is going to exact his revenge upon us. And Joseph says, what you meant for evil... How's the rest go God meant, for good. God meant for good. Okay. Genesis fifty twenty. another verse you should know should have highlighted what, what you intended for evil. God meant for good. And then another place in the Bible, the same concept that, that what Satan intended for evil, God meant for good. That's another concept. that's biblical that sometimes things that, that God allows Satan to do with the intent of evil. God allows it for good. For example, um, God allowed Satan to use Judas to betray Jesus for what would be the, the world's greatest evil. But, but what came out of it was was God's greatest good when Jesus died on the cross and defeated sin and death on, on, on our part. And so what Satan intended for evil, God meant for good. And so that, that whole concept ties in there. So that's all I got on that. Let's go to chapter 15. And it says, after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And so he comes back, and he's such a romantic, you know, he brings his wife a gift, a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. You know, it happens in the room. But her father would not permit him to go in. And, he, you know, I mean, the, the, the purpose of the goat is to go down and, and have a barbecue. You're going you're gonna to kill the goat. You're going to make steaks and goat cheese or whatever you do with the goat. And ask Pat, he's a good cook. He'll probably know what to do with that goat, but... Samson was going to go down and he was going to make a barbecue and hang out with his wife and her family and serve him dinner and go, go into his wife. And verse 2, her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. So the father says, I really thought you would have hated her. Why? Because any normal thinking Person would have hated her by now. (laughs) And there's no way that I could envision anybody wanting to take her back after what she did to you. Except for one person in history. Who? Samson. Like, See, really? This guy's being honest. He's like, I was positive you hated her. Because anybody should hate her by now. But but guess not Samson. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed. So then it says, in verse 3, it says, And Samson said to them, All right, cool. This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. So what I do to that, what I'm about to do to the Philistines, um, I'm blameless for. And then Samson went and caught 300 foxes and he took torches, turned foxes uh, tail to tail and put torches between each pair of their tails. So, again, some of these stories, you guys, you just kind of have to either miraculous or either just took a long time or, you know, basically... You know, apart from what it says, what our highlighted verses are, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him. You know, you think of practically going out and catching three hundred foxes, tying them tail to tail. But you know, I mean, some commentators say that, which I I don't like doing this all the time, but here it's probably okay that technically, for the time and the area that they were in, that the animal that that's supposed to be that's mentioned here would have been a jackal. And I'm not sure a huge difference between a jackal and a fox. I don't know. But the commentators say that most likely what, what Samson caught were were 300 jackals. He tied them tail to tail. And um, meaning tail to tail, they just would have went erratic and been fighting each other. And it would have caused a lot more damage. If he just lit their tails on fire one by one, they would have just ran and went into their holes or wherever they were hiding and it probably wouldn't have caused much damage. But because he tied their tails together, then when he lit them on fire, when he, verse 5, when he set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the, the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the, the shocks of the standing grain as well as the vineyards, the olive groves. And then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and they did what? Burned her and her father with fire. And what did those guys tell her originally? If you don't tell us, we're going to burn you and your family with fire. And she told him, and what was her outcome? She still got burned with fire. So she got burned anyways. And verse 7, it says, Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will see. So he attacked them, hip and thigh, with a great slaughter. And then he went down and he dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Elam. So when it says he attacked them, um, hip and thigh, that just means like thorough. My family used to say, uh, I'll smack you about your head, face and mouth. And that just meant like all over your head, like (laughs) thoroughly your head, face and mouth. And so that's kind of just like he beat them head, face and mouth, hip and thigh. He thoroughly beat them in verse nine. It says, and now when the Philistines went up, encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So they answered, why have you come? We have come to arrest Samson to do him as he has done to us. And so, um, you know, Samson, again, in his plans, he was very childish. He, He was very courageous in war and he was very courageous in battle. Um, and, and yet he, he, he's very childish in so many of his decisions. Like his first decision was about revenge and it was revenge for what they did. And, um, you know, and, and you just see, again, you see kind of a, a childlike heart in, in Samson and the way that he talks and, you know, and the way that he does it. And, it, you know, what did he do after in verse eight, after he attacked them hip and thigh, it says he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock. So he just went down by himself again being a loner and he hid in a little cave in the side of a rock and who knows what he did in that cave, you know, pouted about um, what what they did to his wife and not that he probably cared too much about the woman, but um, his his kind of childish plans. And then it says, you know, of revenge. And again, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And in verse um, number 11, it says, therefore, 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edium and said to Samson. Why would they send 3,000 men after one man? This dude had to be legitimately bad to the bone. Like, I mean, you talk about like legitimate you know, killer or whatever, or, you know, the stories and the, you know, who Samson was. These guys were so afraid of him. And, and, and you know, his folklore and his legend was so legitimate that they, they sent 3,000 men for one guy. One guy. Not like 30. You know, we would send maybe somebody really bad. We'd send three, right? 13. 30, 300, they sent 3,000 men. You know, the funny thing, it was the only time recorded here where Israel actually got together to do something against Philistines. I mean, all these recorded things of of, of Samson fighting the Philistines and having victory, but nowhere, you know, like even in when, when we were studying um, Gideon, they got together and they fought and they did certain things. And here, they, the only time the Israelites got together against the Philistines in this part of their history was to go against one of their own. And it says... Um, do you not know what that the Philistines rule over us? And so they're scared. Samson, what are you doing? You're starting fights. They're going to come and give us trouble. What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. So again, he kind of, you know... That he just, uh, he, he's emotionally and, and morally immature, Samson is. You can see in his responses. Same, same in his response to his dad when his dad told him he couldn't go have the girl. And he's like, go get her for me. She pleases me. I want her. And, and in verse 12 it says, but they said to him, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from, from the rock. And when they, had, when they had came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. And then, uh-oh, for the Philistines, what happens in verse, the rest of verse 14? Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands. And so, again, the the Israelites came down, the 3000 men, they find him and they're like, Samson, what are you doing? Like, we have to arrest you and deliver you to the Philistines.